Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me, ASAP. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Yes, we are still alive. No, this podcast did not die. Derek Wetmore did not get fired. Or have to serve a suspension for saying anything bad about Roger Goodell. Right. No, Derek was just in Arizona, so we apologize for the two-week hiatus of uh, Touch Em All episodes, but... You know, the Twins really didn't do a whole lot of meaningful things in that two-week stretch. Uh, We can talk about some of those things. We're going to give you multiple pieces of content this week and next week. But um, we are back. You are back from Arizona. A nice uh, meditative retreat. I was traveling around for Gopher Basketball, Washington, D.C., and Milwaukee, and we just didn't connect for two weeks. You should should let the listeners know, since it's a podcast, the uh, golden bronze tan that I'm sporting now after getting back from Flagstaff. It looks more like an off-white color. (laughs) I don't know what you'd describe it as. There are some freckles mixed in there. That's like the best you could say. SPF 700. (laughs) You just bathed in SPF 700 the whole trip. Hey, let's jump right into just reacting to Paul Molitor's comments and also actions in terms of lineup construction down in Fort Myers. The season is less than a week away if you're consuming this podcast on the the Tuesday that we're recording. And I'm going to paraphrase Paul Molitor's comments, and then we can kind of dive in. So Joe Maurer's been batting leadoff quite a bit. I I think Joe Maurer was actually batting cleanup at one point earlier this week, too. Byron Buxton batting third, and Molitor hinted that they could put Byron Buxton in the number three spot in the order. And the way he put it was, we have different ways of thinking. We have newer and better ways of thinking about the game now. And just talking about the evolution of thought as it pertains to the twins under Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. And I want to spend this episode with you just discussing our observations throughout the offseason and spring training and talking with various people. Have you noticed any specific changes in thought process or just process in general that would have been foreign to the Twins, for the most part anyways, up until right now? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of a big question to get my arms around, but the way that I sort of think about it is that when I was in, and now I was in Fort Myers for four weeks um, before my little retreat to Arizona, but the thing that I just kept hearing, and it was mostly from pitchers, I think. I don't know that I heard it as much on the position side of things. But, like, I mean, I just had, like, a lengthy conversation with, I'll give you an example, with Ryan O'Rourke about how he worked out in Seattle this offseason with a pitching guru, Kyle Bodie. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. But you've seen him on Twitter. He's the uh, driveline bases guy who's working with velocity and weighted balls and, like, putting science and biomechanics behind how he thinks about pitching, not just – well, the hardest pitch to hit is up and in, down and away, so let's pitch him up and in, down and away. Sure, that works too. That's fine. But, like, if you're Ryan O'Rourke, who, sorry, Ryan, really nice guy, has kind of average stuff. Like, he does, you don't look at him and you're like, oh, there's the next Randy Johnson. And that's fine. That's a lot of people. But what Ryan O'Rourke's advantage, I think, now going forward, if he have, throws a ball and it hits a bird, the, it's just gonna the ball's yes, gonna drop that and is, the, the, as the bird flexes, unlike I, Randy that, Johnson. I think they're calling that a strikeout nowadays. So. <laughs> uh, the way that I think about the conversation I had with O'Rourke is that, like, 
that is what it takes when you get to a level. I, I think of Major League Baseball or like professional baseball as sort of a pyramid, and that if you make it to, if you get drafted or signed, you're on the bottom of the pyramid. And some of you will rise to the next level, but not all of you. And that's why the, it gets a little skinnier up and up and up the level. And then when you get to the major leagues, you're talking the very tip-top point of the pyramid in terms of talent. Everybody there, you've heard the cliche a million times probably. I don't know, a million. That's a, that's a lot. That would be a lot of times. That, that would be a lot, but yeah. You would have lived for a it's long a, it's time in the thousands to, hear, somewhere, though, yeah. to hear it a million times. You, you hear so much about everybody's good here. It's true. They all have talent. They don't all have Miguel Sano talent or Byron Buxton talent, but everybody, even the guys – you might make fun of the Matt Tolberts of the world are incredibly talented. They're so talented you wouldn't believe it. But compared to other players who are uniquely gifted and super talented at baseball, they kind of blend in. They, they, they don't stand out. Robbie Grossman doesn't stand out as much. That's fine. The, I think, difference, the separator then is – how do you think about what you're doing? Like, what's your objective, and how do you get to it? And if you're Ryan O'Rourke, the objective is get outs against left-handed and then occasionally right-handed hitters. Now, how am I going to do that? Okay, the more velocity, the better. Uh, if I can have movement on my stuff, the better. But if I don't have a lot of movement, I have to know where I'm throwing it. Yes, okay. well, just not to interrupt you, but you're, you're going down the exact path that I, that I wanted to go down here. And that Perfect. I think... Um, the Twins have done a better job early on in the Falvey and Levine era here before we've even seen them play a meaningful regular season <laughs> right. game. But Overreacting. Yeah. The, they're doing a better job of talking about and tracking and thinking about process as opposed to results. Like you just named something. You, the objective is a left-handed pitcher. So take Ryan O'Rourke or take any pitcher. The sure. objective is to, is to have a low ERA and get batters out. Okay, well, that's a result. Yeah, a lo- an ERA is a result. Um, a, a strikeout rate is a result. We want to get more strikeouts. We want to have higher velocity, because and and it's worth noting too. Falvey was interviewed by Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. Wonderful article from a couple days ago over the weekend, just about the change in Twins' philosophy up and down. And in the article, they noted since 2008, Twins pitchers have thrown 16,000 fewer pitches above 95 miles an hour than the Royals, sure. who are one of the best teams in baseball over that stretch, over the past six years or so. Okay, so one of the goals is throw harder, get more strikeouts, kind of a two-part goal. But those are results. How do you dig into the process of what creates more velocity, what creates more strikeouts? That's where the Twins are operating right now. The bad news is there's a lot of other teams that have been operating in that space for years. You and so you're going to hear the Twins talk about things that are new to them on a macro level. Um, like they, these new. Yeah, now they've had a statistical analysis department with Jack Goyne and some different people. That they, It's not that they're oblivious to these things before this offseason, but in terms of the importance of some of these things like spin rate or, or whatever, we don't have to get too deep in the weeds. I think they're just more focused on tracking process that will lead sure. to good results instead of the results that might be nebulous when you're trying to achieve yeah. them if you don't know what your route is. Well, my is. goal is to win a World Series. Yes. Well, okay, awesome. so let's break it down into the components. Right. Well, right. from a hitting standpoint even, batting average or on base, we, we, have to, we have to draw more walks or we have, to, we have to have higher team batting averages or we have to hit more home runs. Okay, 
Good. So How do you do that? You don't just like swing harder. <laughs> There's, but some teams are focused on, and, the, and actually Josh Donaldson is, yeah. is one of the best power hitters in baseball. He's been vocal on social media. I've seen a couple clips of him on like MLB cool. Network where he's talking about for years and years and years, young hitters and veteran hitters have been taught chop down on the ball, right? Make sure your swing is come down on the ball to hit line drives and hard ground balls because that's how you're going to become a successful hitter. And he's saying, as the best hitter in baseball, I'm telling you, everyone in the world, that's not how you become yeah. a great hitter. Well, You want a specific trajectory that leads to fly balls, towering fly balls, and, and on the low-end line drop. Donaldson's even more interesting because he was not a good hitter until he started doing this. And now he's like, just look at the overall league rates. When somebody hits the ball in the air, here's their batting line. And here's their power line. And by the way... It's a lower batting average, un- but more yeah. productivity. Until this year, by the way, you're getting paid for power. So batting average be damned is basically, I think, the, the yeah. line of thinking that... This is what it is when it's line drive. So, yeah, if you could hit a line drive every time, then do that. But you're not going to hit home runs on line drives unless you're Miguel Sano or Miguel Cabrera or John Carl Stanton or so- something like that. Most players aren't that guy. So, But here's what your batting line is when you hit ground balls. So take your choice. Do you want to take your chance on hitting line drives and ground balls? Or would you rather roll the dice and know you're going to pop out sometimes yeah. and hit line drives and fly balls? That's what Donaldson changed, and that's when he became MVP Josh Donaldson. Right, so, so he dug into the process. You know, Glenn, Glenn Perkins did this with his slider a number of years ago in yeah. like 2010 or 11, to, and he didn't talk about it much. It, it, there wasn't fanfare, but he was investigating the spin rate, for instance, of yeah. his slider and of his fastball. And then if you have a high spin, we've talked about this on previous episodes, a high spin rate fastball, you want to work up in the zone more often because hitters are going to swing underneath it more often. These are the types of things that teams have been investigating and yeah. have been diving into and that the Twins are probably behind the curve until now and will continue to be until they they, they finish the game of catch-up. So what I want to say on a meta level or like uh, maybe macro, I don't know if it's meta, that what I've seen that's different Anyway, and, and maybe this is – I'm going to disclose my bias here. Maybe it's because I've now done this a few years, and some of the players maybe are more comfortable talking now than if I was, you know, the sunburned pale kid asking them questions the first time we'd ever met. Maybe they're not going to divulge as much of this stuff, but I've just had more conversations this spring about process. And I should say, whether it's right or wrong, they're being – I think, encouraged to explore these things. I've heard from people who are not in powerful positions within the Twins, and including players. You can think what you want about players having power. Players do not have power. They have to unionize to hopefully scrounge up some possible power back. But, like, for the first six years of your professional career, they own you. The system chews you up and spits you out. It's totally unfair, but that's a podcast for another time. Um, they are being talked to like they're on equal levels like they're you know Falvey will walk into the clubhouse and it's an you hear open door policy all the time and I think a lot of times it's a BS cliche and in this case it's not even open door because Falvey's not sitting in his office he's in your office asking you eliciting advice hey what do you think about you know or hey uh, your your fastball is up a couple ticks from last winter that's you know great what how can we help you? Do you no. want to keep moving in that direction? If you like, wanted to, you could go sit in his empty office because sure. the door would be open. Yeah, but he it's, left it's, it's open. It's totally on the way. up to you. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't lock it on his way out. Um, uh, I think that I don't know if I can like 
definitively say this, or or if I'm going out on too much of a limb here, but just my perception of the thing is that more people are being emboldened to talk about process, talk about things like this. Look at how celebrated a guy like Craig Breslow was for doing something that six years ago Glenn Perkins did on his own and didn't like, you know, tweet about it or whatever. But now it's a cool story because baseball I think the viewing public and we as the media are starting to get learnt, as the kids say. We're becoming a little more woke yes, to the idea that there's a process behind making a better slider or fastball to, or location, whatever. To steal a word or a phrase from Simon Sinek, it's, I think teams are becoming more, and players are becoming more curious about the why. Okay, why, why do certain things happen? And how do various results happen? Sure. That, that's where the game is being won right now. How and why do some pitchers suffer Tommy John surgery or t- suffer torn UCLs that lead to Tommy John surgery and uh, other pitchers don't? Well, teams, instead of just asking that and making assumptions 10 years ago, are now exploring that scientifically. Well, Same is true for everything we've been talking about. We're getting better at big data, and that's like a society-wide thing. And like sometimes it's scary, but other times it's really productive and it's going to be helpful. Yeah. Um, I think that baseball's in the same spot, and – the way that a lot of people think about it is similar to the way I think about some of this stuff in society is that this is we're at the we're at the base of a mountain and like it's going in some pretty crazy but most importantly unknown places like we don't know what biomechanical tracking is going to do for the sport of baseball it's possible that in 20 years we will have performed the last Tommy John surgery because we figured out how to protect UCLs. And by we, replacing humans with robots that's on right. the field. Yeah. And, and fine, fair enough. Um, or at least bionicle humans. But still human umpires. For some reason, like baseball <laughs> fans will not up. let that go. Yeah, they'll die on that hill. That's like the Futurama joke that I'm stealing from. Uh, uh, is it Matt Groening that did that too? I think creator of The Simpsons, I think, also did um, Futurama. And he says... Um, you know, it's however many years in the future, and they say, yeah, he was a remarkable ball, ball player. And it's too bad, though, because that was in the era before steroid injections were mandatory. <laughs> because they taught, you know, just, hey, level playing field. It's all even. And uh, anyway, what I, what I think about, like, the, the medical science and um, even head science, like, you know, Phil Jackson was kind of a pioneer of this meditative practice and that it, maybe it's overstated in how much it helped the bulls or the Lakers. Yeah, like it, it helps to have Michael Jordan. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I think Phil Jackson's a one. If you read his, I just dropped a, if you read the book reference and I'm sorry for that. Uh, right you sound here, like me. If you, yeah, if you, if you read 11 rings, which is yeah. his, his, the soul of success, it's a season by season breakdown of now, he acknowledges Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Shaq. Like, okay, let's... I don't think he acknowledges that enough. He definitely gives credit to like the. It's like five hundred pages, and there <laughs> probably should be four hundred pages dedicated to just Michael Jordan, Michael yeah. Jordan, Michael Jordan, Shaq, 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 Shaq. Yeah. But the way he thinks about team building and maximizing sure. the potential, they got not many. Co- I think a lot of coaches would have won at least a ring with each of those combinations, yeah. right? I think I'm not to. But the fact that he won like all of the rings That's with those players <laughs> puts him in a different stratosphere. Yeah. So the the larger point is that like, you know, thirty years ago you might have been laughed at to say, like, hey, you know the thing that Buddhist monks do to get themselves in like a very Zen state where they will be nonviolent and non reactive and just sort of like peaceful and calm and satisfied with their life? Yeah, that might help at like the peak levels of athletic performance. You'd be like, What? Dude, yes. Come on. But now I think there are a lot of people. Uh, in fact, the Cubs just hired like a uh, – boy, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of, uh, of who they hired. But anyways, they, they hired somebody to be their like 
mental strength, tenacity, and meditation coach. The Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, are taking this seriously enough that at the minor league level, they've employed somebody to be their like mental toughness coach. And I'm not saying this is the answer. I'm not preaching this. I'm not proselytizing it. I'm just saying baseball as a whole, I think, and sports as a whole, have become such a big-dollar business that they're willing to explore these competitive edges. And the Twins, say what you want about the past 15 years, the, this Twins regime, from everything that I can tell, are very much they want in on that wave. And that's like maybe the best way that I can summarize succinctly the, the sort of different vibe I felt at spring training this year compared to the past couple seasons. Yeah, the tw- and the Twins, for the record, Rick Aberman has been their, I, I was going to say longtime sports psychologist, but I, I know at least since they moved into Target Field and maybe the couple of years before that. I was going to say as long as I've been covering them, but I, I don't know how far it goes yeah. back. And I had actually, cheap plug, I had a podcast series out almost two years ago now, a year and a half ago, how, called How to Live a Cool Life. And Rick Aberman and I sat down and, and listening to him talk yeah. for 60 minutes. Actually, um, Harbaugh Society, too. We had Justin Anderson from Premier Sports Psychology. They work with a bunch of major league teams. And um, just Jeez. listening to that side of the game. Two podcast plugs in one breath. Right. But but, I'll take it. Right. And, I, and, and super valuable if you're wondering what lengths teams and players will go to to maximize their physical potential. Yeah. I'm this physical specimen, but it's my mind that might be limiting my performance. And these are the areas that, I mean, it's no longer can you find a guy who hits more home runs, uh, physically more powerful over the next team. The Twins used to be the greatest scouting team in baseball. I mean, the Twins on a shoestring budget, straight out of the contraction years, with a bottom five payroll, were putting together some of the best scouted uh, groups of young talent, right? They were just able to go find guys. They were able to raid the cupboards in trades and find that Liriano or that Joe Nathan, whatever it is. Well, it's a lot harder today to there's just there's just way too many pieces of information that everyone has access to. You're not going to go find that hidden gem unless you have different ways of going about the evaluation process. Like a story just came out on um, FanRag Sports about the evaluation of quarterbacks, for instance, and they're just now coming up with these systems where you can look at the statistics and performance and contextualize a quarterback's college performance and then glean the percentage chance each group of the three groups of classifications, the percentage chance that quarterback has to be a multi-year starter in the NFL. But like the margins are so thin and now a piece like that gets published and now every team can look and see what the formula is and like, oh, now we all have that information. I mean, any team can go on fan graphs and find out, or any fan can go on fan graphs and find out what the what the best pitch is for a particular team or pitcher or see the movement on a on a on a pitch whatever you can, everyone has access to this information how do you fill in the little crevices here and there and then another layer to this conversation too is how do you take all of the information and then parse it filter it and communicate it to human beings who are the ones sure. out there performing a big part and that's another area where i know the dodgers have a huge edge there because gabe kapler who played in the league for 10 years, one of the smartest players in baseball over the 10-year period, he's their liaison in that front office. I think he's their farm director. And so he's able to take, and he's all in on analytics, he's able to take the analytical, big data, uh, macro stuff, or the just all the information that you would be gathering, and then filter it and apply it to the human level. I don't know if the Twins are quite there yet. I think when Glenn Perkins retires, that might be his role, hmm. whenever that may be, um, if he wants it. I think there's some interest there if, if he gets done playing at some point and there's still an opening. But 
that's another area where a lot of teams are are thriving over over others. Yeah, I think that they're getting better at doing this, and I think that's the game. I, I want to address, um, unless you had something off of that, I, you, something you said just triggered two thoughts in my mind. And one of them is about Falvey, and one of them is about Thad Levine. And I agree with both of them, even though they sound mutually exclusive. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Well, for starters, is there's going to be some people who hear what we just talked about and think that it's gobbledygook and think that, like, dude, doesn't matter, like, at the end of the day, the best hitter is going to have the best on-base percentage or the best, in a lot of cases, the people that will argue with this will say he has the best batting average. And, okay, fine. I just don't agree with you. I think that if you take a player who's whatever, like, he's less talented. Let's say he's, you know, I don't know what the margins are, but, like, he's a, he's a 95th percentile player competing with a 99th percentile player. And the 99th percentile player, based on talent, is smoking and doing drugs and not sleeping and eats McDonald's cheeseburgers for breakfast every day and just doesn't pay attention to his health at all. The 95th percentile sleeps eight hours a night of regenerative sleep. He does exercises that provide his mind and body to like be in this optimal state of performance, whatever it is at the current state of medical technology. He uses, like, brainwave tracking to figure out, like, how how able is he to perform in the exact moments that he's needed in the game and while also knowing that you have to keep that attention over, like, three hours of a baseball game. It's crazy. I'll put my money on the guy who's doing all the things right and doesn't have as much talent. Mm-hmm. But now the thing is, even the 99th percentile guys – and their teams are figuring out, yeah, this is, this is pretty important. It probably makes you 2% better or whatever it is, and we're looking for that edge um, because we don't have the payroll that the Cubs have, and we don't have the bountiful prospect system that the Dodgers have, so let's win somewhere else. And by the way, if you're still laughing at this, then fine. The other 29 teams will go race off ahead of you, and you'll be left in the dark ages and have to hope that you just, like, win you know the lottery and stumble into some players who are so much better than everybody else that none of this matters yeah so anyway the point on falvey and the point on levine that seem kind of like they're at odds with each other one is it reminds me we talked about this when falvey was hired 
And there's a YouTube video of him speaking at the 2013 Sabre Convention, the uh, Society of Advanced Baseball I actually, Research. I watched like 20 minutes Did of you? that. Yeah, yeah. Just I like was the, like, like the geekiest I've ever felt as a baseball because fan. Because there was no other information about like this Like they guy. hired him. The, his name was out there, and then it was the only meaningful video right. that popped up. And it's like, all right, I'm going to listen to this guy They hired him a- out of the shadows, basically. Yeah. I mean, not that people in baseball didn't know him, although some of them didn't. People in like, you know, a uh, casual baseball fan had obviously never heard the name, and I personally, I'd maybe like come across it, but if you told me 12 months ago, hey, Derek Falvey's on the radar to be the next president, I'd be like, of, okay, I should look that of, up. Of yeah. what? <laughs> Who's that? Is, is he a Republican or like what? Um, and so I, I watched this video, and he talked about, somebody asked, how can you help young players develop better? And he talked about at the lowest level of the minor leagues, one of the most grueling things is the bus travel. There are so many players that are weeded out because something about traveling on a bus for long distances and low pay with the potential promise that you might be a big leaguer someday just wears on people. It grinds you down. It's difficult. Only the best of the best survive, and even some of the best of the best might not make it to the big leagues because they weren't mentally tough enough to deal with playing in Beloit, Wisconsin for a summer or whatever. He said, are we really, like, maximizing the training value of this? Like, would he be better off getting on a bus to go from, you know, Beloit to Cedar Rapids? Or or would he be – and I don't know that those two play in the same leagues. It's probably a bad example. Actually, I think they do, yeah. If you're you're on that bus spending – six hours traveling, and then you get there and you play a game and you spend six hours traveling back, you get in at 3 a.m. and you have to go to batting practice at 9 a.m. the next morning. You're not going to be your peak self. You just won't be, and you do that over a long period of time. People know this from, like, working their office jobs. If you party five nights a week, it's harder to pay attention to that 2 o'clock email that comes in from your boss. But if you slept for eight hours the night before and you're feeling really good about the rest of things that are going on and you had a nice walk over your lunch break in the beautiful sunshine we have here in Minnesota now, you're a lot more able to process that 2 p.m. email. You just described the Mackie and Judd show right there. Like, that's the Mackie and Judd show. <laughs> okay. Like, the way I wandering around in the sunshine, <laughs> Judd just on a Phil, bender we're back. from bunnies. Yeah. Phil, we're back. <laughs> uh, the idea, though, is that uh, – Falvey mentioned at this conference, and it's on video. You can go find this on YouTube. I'm sure it's still up there. He said, would that guy be better off spending two of those six hours taking batting practice from his hitting coach in Beloit? Or is he better off grinding through a long night of no sleep so that he can go and get four plate appearances in Cedar Rapids? I'd argue that playing that game might not be as beneficial to his long-term development. And that's kind of what Falvey was saying. I'm paraphrasing. But that is the kind of unique insight that I think they can take to a lot of different – and I'm not saying this is Falvey you know, coming down from on high and having this great epiphany of an insight. I just think that a lot of industries are going this way. Business has gone this way. Big business is already thinking about these things. How can we maximize the effectiveness of our employees? Granted, not all offices do it, but – I think you know you see some things that Google do. Does. Like the like the Red Sox, I think just built a napping room yes. inside their clubhouse this at is Fenway the exact Park. Same kind of thing. They have like four or six napping kits, and it's just if you want to go in there and you want yeah. to shut your eyes, because they're so focused on. And actually, you know, I saw this article in ESPN the magazine like four years ago when the Seattle Seahawks were on the rise. This might actually this might have been after they won a Super Bowl, so like three years ago. And Pete Carroll comes in having taken a decade's worth of notes from USC and things he would do differently the next time he got to the NFL. How to recruit Reggie Bush. Right, exactly, in his prime, without getting slapped on the back of the head. And so he put together, and I'm sure he had smart people in the front office. I'm sure this was not just Pete Carroll-driven, but 
they put together some of the most advanced sleep and nutritional studies that the NFL had ever seen. So what they would do is they would monitor players' activity at practice and in the game, and they would then cross-reference if their activity was subpar or if they had a good game, whatever it may be. They would cross-reference with sleep patterns and nutritional patterns. So they could tell you, after some sample size, hey, when you get five hours of sleep instead of seven and or you eat this type of food instead of this, Here's what it does to your performance. Sure. Here's what it does to your mindset. And it's not just scientific. It's also non-scientific conversations about yeah. how do you feel? Yeah, I what feel, is your temperament? I feel a little foggy today because I woke up and instead of a breakfast, like a normal healthy breakfast with some fat and protein, I yeah. had a bear claw because I was tired and I wanted a bear claw. Right. And you know, maybe that doesn't turn a five-win football team into a ten-win football team or – in this case, a 103-loss yeah. baseball team into right. a 103-win baseball team. But it, it's it, you and I have both read Jonah Carey's book, The Extra 2%, sure. yeah, yeah. about the Rays front office and how the Rays went from bottom-feeding expansion team to the Andrew Friedman era. Now he's with the Dodgers. And they just looked in the margins, and they tried to create these little edges. And, and again, you have to have talented players, and you have to – there's a certain level of – prerequisite talent that you have to have but can you squeeze an extra two percent or an extra five percent out of the orange and that equates to an extra three wins over here an extra good player that becomes a major leaguer over there well i'll argue that take a player like eddie rosario who i have my questions about and i've been very public about that that i don't think it's a slam dunk that he's going to be a good everyday player i just don't but it's possible that's definitely i could you know it's not a huge jump for him to go from regular major leaguer to potentially being a good contributor for the twins for five years. Um, I think there are some organizations in which it would be more likely Eddie Rosario succeeds. Now let's take this example to the twins more specifically. I think that there are some organizations where it's more likely Ryan Presley becomes a closer level reliever and some organizations where it'd be more likely he's either a seventh inning guy or like never quite makes a big impact in the big leagues And I think for the Twins, the goal has to be take someone like a Ryan Presley or take someone like a Ryan O'Rourke I mentioned earlier or a Craig Breslow and make them the best version of Craig Breslow. Take uh, Brian Dozier and make him the best example of Brian Dozier, which, by the way, I give Dozier a lot of credit. I think Brian Dozier has turned himself into the best version of Brian Dozier. If you showed me, like, a 5'11 guy who's strong and muscular but not going to win any muscle beach competitions. He and, and he's a 42 home run hitter because he's got this unique insight that, hey, I'm really good at pulling high fastballs and going to left field and tucking in home runs over the wall and inside the foul pole. So I'm not going to mess around with this hitting the ball hard to right field. I'm not going to try to hit home runs out to center. I'll just do this 40 times a year. And he's an excellent player because of it. And like, all 40 usually come in one half of the season. Sure, so and that's the like, other half, you're you waiting for him to just adjust to the pitchers yeah. and hit the ball the other way. But, but like, you want Byung-Ho Park to be the best version of Byung-Ho Park possible. And if you do that 25 times, your team's better. And if you do that 75 times, every player who touches your team throughout the course of two or three seasons is better. And if you do that... 700 times, you now have risen the water level, raised the water level? I'm going to go raised on that one. Rose the water level of your minor league talent as a whole, 
and maybe the marginal player succeeds that otherwise wouldn't have. Now, that brings me perfectly to my second point about Thad Levine. It seems like it's at odds with the Falvey point, but Thad Levine has subtly kind of said this a couple of times. And he's very point blank about it, but it's hard to pick up on unless you're like really listening for it. I, I have to admit, I missed it the first time, and then I just kind of spent some time. I think I was talking to you on a podcast one time, and it re-registered in my mind. Thad Levine said one of the market inefficiencies, like really that's not being talked about, and I'm paraphrasing again, that's not really being talked about that much is the human scouting element of baseball. Teams that are better talent evaluators than others and then learn how to maximize that value and turn it into good, productive, big league players are going to be better. So I think on the one hand, you have the Thad Levine find guys who have this canvas to, that, that can be painted on to become a beautiful painting. And then Falvey sort of talks about it like, how do you take whatever canvas you have and make it the most beautiful painting yeah, possible? And I would say it's not so much about pinpointing, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, it's not as much about being better at pinpointing a physical skill. You know, it's everyone is able to measure from a pitch FX standpoint what types of pitches and spin rates are going to play, right? I think it's about scouting which player has the best percentage chance. If you have two equally talented physically players who have similar results against low-level competition like high school or college, whatever it is, low-level to them because they're professionals who, yeah. who are going to be drafted, yeah. which one of them has a higher percentage chance of fulfilling their potential against the best in the world? Sure. Yeah. Mental evaluation, makeup, and, and that's what that that's another area where – you know that's that's another area where scientifically teams are bringing on these these mental evaluators to try and figure out are there patterns in behavior or patterns in upbringing or coaching or whatever that can lead us to to uh, determining their yeah. percentage chance to succeed. Little nugget, and then maybe we got a bolt for the week. Uh, people, after not having us for two full weeks, they're probably sick and tired of hearing our voices <laughs> on the Touch Them All podcast. The quick little nugget on exactly what you just said, and it's one of the reasons that when I write about Byron Buxton these days, I'm pretty bullish and probably more bullish than my skeptical personality would otherwise allow. I don't know if I've written this ever. If I if I have, then I guess it's not a secret, but I think I'm divulging a secret here to touch them all listeners that one of the reasons I'm so willing to buy into Byron Buxton as a potential impact like star player in the big leagues is I've talked to people who claim that just what you're talking about here, the mental makeup, the wherewithal, the like want to, um, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, the drive to be excellent. Bryce Harper is a top of the charts wanting to be Bryce freaking Harper, right? I mean, there's some, maybe there's never been anyone as talented as him. I don't know. But if there was, I doubt that there was someone as talented and as driven and pair that together. Kobe Bryant, same example, good at basketball, but like there are a lot of people that are good at basketball and nobody else is Kobe Bryant. So Byron Buxton, I'm not saying he's got the same mentality Kobe has, but his the mental makeup side of the game, with which the Twins spent a lot of time and money trying to figure out as they were scouting him as a rural prospect, you know, a rural Georgia prospect, not really playing against the best competition. Well, we see he's fast and we see he's got some power and we like kind of like some things about his swing and his and his arms really strong, but like. Is he going to make it when he goes into pro ball and he starts playing against people that are way better than the people that he's playing against now? 
what's that failure point going to be and how is he going to overcome? The people that I've talked to say Byron Buxton also top of the charts in that aspect of the game. And that's sort of given me a sense of confidence, fair or unfair, in saying like, look, I don't know if he'll be 2016 September Byron Buxton, but I think this guy's a really good player. And I, I couch it by using the numbers and my observations, but that's definitely one of the things that's played into my insight where I say – I'm more confident about this guy than some of my other peers in the media. I think Byron Buxton's going to succeed. Right. In fairness, the media scouts said the same thing about you. Yeah, and that has this we, point. We all know how that's working. Taking two weeks off of a podcast. I'm bust. For Pete's sakes. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. On May 11, 2016, the Defend Trade Secrets Act went into effect. The act extends the current Economic Espionage Act of 1996, which criminalizes trade secret thefts to the civil arena. This means for the first time, trade secret owners can now bring suit in federal district courts without having to resort to another basis for jurisdiction. While not without critics, the act is a major step forward in the protection of intellectual property in the United States, not least because federal law now fully recognizes four types of intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and now trade secrets. Minnesota Statutes Chapter 325C also also provides a civil cause of action in state court for the wrongful misappropriation of trade secrets. If your business has been victimized by the misappropriation of its confidential information, contact an attorney to determine if you have claims under either federal or state law. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.